four, three, two, one, zero, and liftoff. Dispatches, a production of Blur Bank, is an in-depth look at those living artistic lives. Each episode will feature photographs and audio interviews with narrative pioneers who have taken creativity and publishing in their own hands. From artists to authors, photographers to philosophers, Dispatches will reveal the faces and foundations of those who lead the creative way. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Dispatches. I am in Orange County, California today with Joey Scabell, longtime friend. How you doing, Joey? I'm doing great, Dan. And I have exactly zero questions prepared for you because we know each other really well, and I thought it would be way more interesting to just sit here and talk because you have a, a million things going on, as usual. But I want to go back initially to one thing I don't know about you is when, I mean, I met you probably, it's been at least, it's been many years ago. And your photography was already a big part of your life, but I don't know where and how you got started in, in photography. Yeah, basically it goes back to uh, about when I was 12 years old. I got my first camera, which was a Pentax K1000. Oh, yeah. And uh, I was excited to, um, to learn the, the craft of photography. My older brother raced professional motocross, so I wanted to go out and capture images of him and his buddies racing. So... Um, that's what I did. I basically went out and started photographing them and reading as many books as I could on photography. And um, about six months after I got my camera, I submitted some pictures to Motocross Action and got published. Oh, yeah. So, the first publish. So the first publish, yeah. It was a, an exciting moment. And, uh, you know, coming from uh, a background where I didn't have friends, family, nobody that was a photographer, it was just something that intrigued me. And um, was the was the photo published of your brother? Yes. Uh, and what did he think? Oh, he thought it was he thought it was great. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, okay, my little brother does have a purpose. Yeah. Yeah, but then he said, yeah, but you won't make any money doing this. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So he was pretty insightful. Even, yeah. Even back then. Absolutely. And so you have done a, a lot of different kinds of photography. You and I have done a wedding together. You've shot portraits. You've done documentary work. You've done, which we're going to talk about more in detail, because you've done some pretty interesting projects. If there was one kind of photography that I said, that's it, that's the only thing you can do from here on out, what would it, what would it be? Um, landscape travel photography. Landscape. And what is it? Why do you, I mean, I don't, you're a guy who absolutely loves landscapes more than anything, and I never shoot landscapes. What is it about landscapes? I guess it's just the pure beauty of being out there on a hiking trail, hiking for days and finding a spot that that you just that fascinates you and that you just can't even believe exists and you want to capture that and bring it back and share it with your family and friends and and whoever else you could show it to. So, you know, coming from a film background from those years ago, um, you know, before digital and social media and all that, you know, we, it was such a different world. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. so now, you know, it's, it's, it's even so much better to be able to get it out to literally around the world instantly. And so you would be, you would be hiking these places anyway, because you are, you're a hiker, you're sort of an expedition guy. So even if you didn't have a camera, you'd still be out in these places. Absolutely. So it kind of merges two things in your life that you really like. Yes. So a couple, and this is, that was my incredibly polished transition right there. Because a couple of years ago, you said to me something along the lines of, just very casually, hey, uh, I'm going to walk across, what is it, Kruger National Park? Yeah, it bordered Kruger National Park. It's called the Manuleti. In Africa. In, in South Africa. And so I was like, oh, he's going to walk in a park in South Africa. And I'm thinking, well, that's probably not that big of a deal. But it is a really big deal because that is, how long is that walk? So we trekked for um, just about two months. 
Okay. Um, and the the idea was to do a 1,000-kilometer trek, which um, I believe it's somewhere around 620 miles, roughly, um, on foot with no vehicle, and uh, to bring global awareness to the rhino poaching issue that's going on. Jesus. And so that was, uh, that was a project that came to you, and they said, hey, do you want to do this? And what was your responsibility on this trip? So, yeah, basically I got a call from, from, an old, uh, from a friend of mine that I had assisted for years in Paris, uh, an amazing uh, fashion photographer, Stephen Lyon. I got the call to see if uh, I wanted to be a DP on this documentary for him. Uh, something that matters. And uh, I said, let me think about it for a minute. And I said, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're like, uh, how many miles was that again? And uh, yeah, because that, that's a heavy duty commitment. That's not like, hey, we're going on a day hike in the back bay. That's like, because you are in a location where you are not the highest thing on the food chain. There are things out there that are basically waiting around for something crunchy on the inside like you to devour. So like what kind of things were out there that you had to keep your eye open for? Yeah, I mean, so basically I had never been on a African safari, even in a vehicle before. I mean, I've been on, you know, the closest thing was San Diego uh, Wild, Wild Animal Park. You mean it's not like that? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it, you know, I didn't even think about it, though, when it has to do with, with bringing a camera and recording something. Yeah. And it, it was basically an opportunity of a lifetime. I didn't even think about the dangers. I figured I'll, I'll learn about those as I go along. Yeah. Um, I had some time to think about that. But, um, but yeah, you know, there was, uh, you know, anything from, ele you know, elephant charges to, I mean, we were out there with uh, the big five. So, I mean, we had cheetahs and lions and uh, obviously rhinos. Um, but we had elephants. Um, there's snakes. Yeah, black mambas are in that region. Um, so, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to worry about. Um, Luckily, we had a good ranger, um, Fritz, that was with us, um, kind of leading us, giving yep. us a lot of um, education um, on animal behavior. So yep. we were trained, you know, a little beforehand and definitely along the way. Um, but I felt like we were safe. In good hands. Uh, in, in good hands as far as that. But to me, um, the bigger worry, obviously, and I didn't even think about this going out there, was um, how how corrupt the, the whole system is over there as far as we had to give our GPS location to the head warden of this region. And um, three days into the trek and sleeping in our tents at night, I find out that there are people that we're reporting to that are involved in the rhino poaching. Oh, so, so they, they just want to know where your whereabouts are so they can avoid you to keep poaching in other areas. That or the bigger scare in my mind was they that come, all he's got to do is pay you. some locals 50 bucks and give them an AK-47. They'll come out and kill us while we're sleeping. So that was actually ended up being the bigger worry for me than, than any animals. Well, that's funny because my, my question, next question was about the human, human danger as opposed to the animal danger. But yeah, that's um, the, the corruption in the, in the poaching world for sure. Is, now, you said something at the beginning of this that's interesting is you use the expression DP. So you came from still photography, and then suddenly here comes digital, and here comes cameras that are able to, to do both motion and stills, and you are now a DP. I mean, you're basically being hired to do that. What was the transition like from, I mean, when I met you, you were shooting Nikon 35, and you were shooting Pentax 6x7 black and white film, and now you're making movies. And we're going to talk about what you're doing as of late, which is even pretty interesting in terms of equipment and motion and stuff. But... How was the transition from still to motion? Yeah, so basically, um, you know, I started freelancing for Canon um, and right at about the time when they introduced the 5D Mark II. In fact, at uh, 
the big NAB show that happened the first year they introduced it, uh, when Canon wasn't even aware of what they really had had produced, um, they gave me a training as a freelancer and put me in the main booth to talk to all the Hollywood people about the 5D Mark II. And they told me just get, you know, as much information as you can from anybody and give feedback. And I was slammed with people saying, not, not even asking questions so much, but telling me how they were able to take this technology and this camera and, and make films with it that we didn't even know were possible. Yeah. Um, so I learned so much in those three or four days um, that it kind of was an eye-opener for me that, wow, maybe you know I, I can shoot stills with this camera and I can also go in and shoot video. So I was actually on a job in Cuba um, uh, basically as a first assistant to Stephen Lyon, uh, basically a digital technician. And the client was there, and, and uh, Steve said, you know, Joey, I'm shooting, shooting all this on, on 35 millimeter. I don't really need a digital tech. Why don't you show the client what you can do with your video capabilities on, on the 5D and mm. maybe make some cool fashion films? So that's basically what I did. Um, I basically had a, uh, I think, a, a can, one 5D Mark II, a 24-105, and a 51.2 with me, and a neck strap. I had no tools to shoot video. Um, <laughs> so, but it, it sounded like a great opportunity. Oh, yeah. And, you fashion know, in Cuba? Yeah, fashion no, just sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah, fashion in Cuba. We had some amazing models there, and Steve's an amazing with light, and, you know, we had smoke machines, and then we just built these amazing sets in Havana. And so, you know, the lighting, the, the scene was just set up beautifully. And mm. I, all I had to do is basically capture some some moments yeah, and th that's like the perfect test ground absolutely yeah, yeah, for sure absolutely so basically i did this the first day at the end of the day i put some cuts together showed it to the client and he was blown away and thought oh my gosh you know the social media capabilities and advertising capabilities that we could do with this footage is i think he realized it could do so much more than what the stills even the advertising job that yeah. we were there to do was capable of doing so the client asked, you know, gosh, could you, you know, after two days, he said, wow, you know, can we um, do another commercial? Can we do this? And and so I said, yeah, as long as we have Steve Lyon directing it, yeah. it's not a problem. <laughs> I'll be more than happy to film it. So, um, and that was basically what happened with, and, and it just took off from there. Um, after I shot these three different um, fashion commercials for them, um, it, it just kind of snowballed and started getting more, uh, you know, um, clients asking for video yeah and because this was right at the time when video when a huge percentage of still guys had to suddenly add that into their bag of tricks was i need to be able to do motion yeah. so let's go from there into africa a 650 mile trek you're shooting stills you're shooting motion one that sounds like a major backache because you have a lot of stuff to carry and secondly post-production to me the one complaint i hear about motion all the time and i've said it a million times and i've done motion like three times is, oh my God, I don't want to do this. Like, so tell me about what you, what it was like to try to schlep that stuff across Africa. And the second thing is, how do you get around the, the reality that post is, what is it? 10 to one, whatever you spend one minute in, in the field shooting, you're going to spend 10 in post. So what, what's your solution? Yeah. So basically that was a huge problem because we were, we were without a vehicle and, um, we had to figure out a solution that would work. Um, so picking out the gear, you know, I ended up getting, um, a couple Canon one DCs, which the form factor was a lot, 
yeah. a lot more usable for out in the field. So what I ended up doing is I ended up having two systems. I, I basically had a field kit, which was the Canon 1DCs, which I could throw all the Canon L glass on and, and zooms and be pretty lightweight. Um, and then when I would, we would have conservationists and people that would fly in and come in and trek with us for a few days at a time. And I needed to do more of a three camera setup. I had, um, I had uh, C300s for that. Oh, so wow. I basically had two setups. One was for kind of a base camp interviews um, with the C300s, and then my field cameras were the 1DCs. That's pretty slick. Yeah, you know, it, it ended up working. I mean, for audio, we didn't even have an audio sound guy, so basically we kind of winged it, brought brought uh, an H4, H4N Zoom, yeah. and actually we ended up bringing a boom, a boom mic, you know, a nice boom mic that we used as well. I can uh, just see the audio guy th- saying, now where are we going again? Right. Six, how many miles? Six, <laughs> I hiked six and a half miles on, on Sunday, and we were like, wow, that was quite a trek. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, were, we were hiking from sunrise to sunset every day. And ultimately, what became of the project, and how was it to finish those last few kilometers on that trip? Well, so at the very towards the very end, um, we we basically, as you could imagine, on foot without a vehicle, you don't run into as much wildlife as you'd like to, yeah. um, because you're only covering so much ground, and, and it's so vast that that we realized towards the very end that we needed more just wildlife footage of lions and this and that. So actually, um, my uh, second cameraman that worked with me, Werner, um, we ended up the last, I believe it was two weeks uh, of the trip, we actually ended up getting a vehicle the last two weeks and then going out and capturing some of the footage of lions and mm-hmm. some of the stuff we needed to fill in gaps for the for the, for the the film. Those pesky other animals. Right, yeah. right. So. Um, you know, that was a, a tough decision because, yeah, I didn't get to actually say I did the thousand kilometers. Yeah. Um, I'm sure I did close to a thousand Ks, especially because we backtracked so many times. I was going to say, you I mean, probably we did, did 10 times more. Right, right. Any, any photographer doing anything is going to make 10 times more steps than anybody else. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We always had to run ahead, you know, come back and forth, but unfortunately we weren't counting those, you know, (laughs) steps, only the ranger and the, the, the director and somebody else were were basically counting their steps. Um, but, but nonetheless, um, it was still a lot of trekking and, um, you know, through the bush, you know, some of the bush, you know, you're walking through three feet of bush and, you know, come across two lions that, that, uh, were asleep out, you know, they were just mating and we, we kind of startle them. They jump up 50 feet, from us and look at us and yeah. turn the other way luckily and ran so i mean these are the kind of situations we'd run into that you know you just can't even prepare yourself for no that's like that's a memory that's going to be along with you for a long time what did did doing the trip make you see anything the world animals conservation photography what you want to do in the future what kind of impression did that thing leave on you yeah i mean it was a life changer for sure in in so many aspects um i mean first of all the conservation is huge i mean i you know i never you know you you do your day-to-day thing we're spoiled here we don't have to worry about anything so to go to the other side of the world and see what's going on and how you know people are just decimating these these poor creatures, um, you know, to the to the near brink of extinction, um, it really opened my eyes and really made me want to make a difference as well. Um, so that was one thing which was which was huge. And then 
also the people, you know, the people, you know, when you spend a couple months in the bush, you know, sleeping, you know, in close quarters, your own tents in close quarters with these people, you know, trekking all day and and cooking and and basically living with them 24-7 for two months, you get to know people really well and you get to know what you like and you don't like and you hopefully learn something about yourself. Um, So, yeah, you know, Talk about reality TV shows, you know, I mean, th- this was reality as it gets. I mean, we didn't have scripts. We didn't yeah. have anything. So, yeah, we had our ups and downs and moments of just, you know, gosh, should I just get on a plane and leave? I mean, you know, you get yeah, uh, you get into some tough situations. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, you know, we had our problems along the way, but we, I think we all were in it for the heart of the saving these animals. And luckily, that's what kept us all together at the end. Um and then as far as the, my look outlook on future, yeah, you know, I I wasn't able to get as many stills as I wanted to on this job because the main thing was to get footage yeah. for the film. So I, I was able to, since I was shooting the 1DCs, I was able to, once I knew I got the film, I'd pop off a couple stills, um, which I actually have in a gallery now. Um, and I couldn't have done that with any other way, literally, to pull out another camera or even carry another camera yeah. with me was impossible due yeah. to weight factors. So... It really got me to want to go back. So actually, um, the don't fo- tell me you're coming back. No, the following year. Oh. So my wife and I, um, she's also big into travel. So we ended up going back to South Africa and renting our own vehicle, our own Land Cruiser with a tent on top, and we drove from from Johannesburg all the way up to Namibia. And for a How month, how far is that? Um, it's uh, I, I think it took us four days of driving, like uh, maybe five days of driving to get up there. Um, it's pretty far. It's up close, you know, along near the skeleton coast mm-hmm. up that way. Um, so, and I went back this time to not shoot any cinema, but to shoot strictly Just to stills. Shoot stills. Okay. And knowing that, um, that I wanted to do some stuff with a gallery, you know. Let's go back. You walk, you come across this park in Kruger and you're done and you're shooting motion, which tells me you probably had a Mount Everest level of motion. How do you even begin to start cutting that and going through it and backing it up and doing, I mean, that just seems insurmountable to me. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, actually what we had to do is we had a base camp, um, in South Africa. And so there was a vehicle that would come once a week and pick up and drop off supplies. So what we would do is we had, um, external hard drives along with us and, um, many, many of them. So we would fill them up. Um, and then a vehicle would show up at the end of the week, drop off our our new drives and we yep. drop off the old ones and we had somebody basically a digital technician downloading all of our footage and they were taking they would keep one a master drive at base camp and then we would make a secondary drive that would be shipped back to new york where we would have somebody that was actually doing pre-edit work oh, with it. that's so great yeah because it's not like you got back and said well i guess i got my laptop i'm going to sit down and start editing yeah a thousand kilometers of of motion yeah, yeah no that would be an absolute nightmare to to do that at the end so it was done along the way and um the director is the one that put all that together cool and i, I was glad you know i'm, I'm not uh, i do like to be a part of the editing process of, of course mm-hmm. in something like this to where i could yeah. Give my two cents on sure. what I think yeah. something look, but on this particular project, it was all up to the director of how he wanted this done. So I was out of that loop, which was a huge relief for me because I, uh, you know, it was that's a, huge, a lot. I huge mean, that's responsibility. Too, you, you keep wearing the both the director hat and the, and the guy behind the camera, the ops, camera operator. That's a per, that's a lot of stuff to ask. Yeah, people do it. They write, direct, and run the camera. I mean, there's a couple of big directors out there that still do that, which I it's pretty admirable. Even if you're in shooting film and don't have to 
go through all that stuff. And so um, before we jump into the, the last thing, which I want to talk about, which is this new gear situation that you're in, when you were over here a couple of days ago, you were t actually talking about making a book. And what I find interesting is even though you're shooting digital and you're shooting motion and we're talking about DPing and all this stuff, there's still something cool about a physical book. You're shooting stills. You have a gallery. Why, st why make a book in 2015? You know, why? Yeah, you know, to me, there's, I, there's just something about showing, you know, people your work um, that's something that's tangible. Um, you know, c coming from the film days, you know, where we made contact sheets and, and carried around portfolios to show clients, I'm still a big believer of that. And there's, you know, everybody has a website. Everybody has, a, you know, can show your work on an iPad. But there's those few that carry around a portfolio today, and, and I, I, I'm still one of those guys. So other than carrying literally a portfolio that's handmade, I, I still like to produce books of all my work, um, you know, whether it's even a family trip somewhere to Yellowstone or it's a, it's a, a physical job or my landscape uh, portfolio. I, there's nothing like seeing it printed. Um, and to me, that's the ultimate is just to be able to sit there and, and share it with people and have them, you know, put it on their table and look at it in front of you. Yeah, I'm in. Uh, I had a phone call earlier today, so I've had a dark room for the past I don't know how many years in Santa Fe. But I, I, due to the Lyme disease stuff, I really I, I can't really be around the chemistry right now, and so I'm giving giving it up and I'm going back to printing digitally. I don't really have any other choice, and so I've just tried to look at it in a way of like, oh, it's you know, I'll just look at the positives. Like I can do this quicker, and I have these other options that I don't have in the dark room, et cetera. But it's the idea for me, printing is, is a hugely important thing. And uh, that the selection that it makes you think about, just, just in terms of your work of coming back and editing, and you probably, let's say that you shot 10,000 images on this track. You're going to print 10,000 images? No. You're going to print, you know, 50 pictures, whatever. Well, which 50 are you going to print? And what does that do to your psyche to go, well, I shot 10,000, but there's only, maybe there's 40 pictures that are really, really worth it. The, the idea that what printing, that what it forces you to do in terms of critical thought in regard to your work. So my nephew's been here the last week, and I probably shot a half a roll of film total of him, but I will edit that, and I will print those pictures, and those prints will go in a book. And people look and say, like, they see the books, and they go, why on earth would you do that? And it's sometimes it's hard to explain if you've never done it or if people, you know, sharing on their phone all day. But, yeah, the print is, like... It's, it's in our DNA, I think. But yeah. how, how old are you? 42. Yeah, so we're roughly the same generation, came th through the same contact sheets. Okay, so a while back, you, uh, you came in the house wearing a different hat, which is what you're wearing right now, which is, uh, it's a Rico hat, and it's Rico Pentax, right? Yeah, Rico owns Pentax. So you are now an official, what is your title now? So I am a, an ambassador. Okay. for Rico Imaging, or uh, basically for their Pentax 645Z, and basically any of the equipment that they make that I will use, that I personally would use for my own business, um, I can test out and, and shoot and give them feedback. And so give it, give us a little background here. So Rico, Rico Pentax, is, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this that may not know that much about it, that Rico and Pentax and the sort of legacy of those brands through the years but you are a spokesman for them now, and you your primary camera is this new 645 format digital camera, which is insanely cool. You and I both shot the 645 film cameras and loved those. But tell me a little bit. This is a weird—if if people haven't seen a 645 digital camera, it doesn't look like anything else out there. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely different, and, and that's kind of like where I like to go. I, I like to— 
you know, first of all, the camera just needs to be an extension of who you are and it needs to fit your personality and, and your thing. I, I'm not one of those guys that, you know, if, if it's the hottest camera selling, I'm probably not going to use it because I just don't like to, you know. Uh... You're a contrarian. That's <laughs> yeah. it. That's what people accuse me of being as there's an FM2 T on the table right. in front of me. <laughs> and yeah. a Polaroid. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's it's one of those cameras where, you know, yeah, you know, we, we shot large format and medium format for so many years that, you know, after shooting 35 millimeter DSLRs, you just, you're always looking for something a little, you know, an edge above that, what everybody else yeah. is using. And, and now that I'm doing gallery work, you know, big prints, 80 by 40 inch gallery prints, um, that I need to make as, as beautifully as possible. I find that the files from the medium format cameras in general, there's just so much more, you know, to work with, with the file. So this camera, it's, it's really, um, it's very similar to a DSLR. Uh, it's just kind of a blown up version of one. Mm -hmm. But as far as how easy it is to use, it's it's fantastic. And the layout on it's still very similar to a film camera. So you've got all the buttons where you, you usually have a button. Um, and the the printing capability from it's just phenomenal. And so as an ambassador, you give workshops, you give trainings, you do talks at like trade shows and things like that. Is that what it entails? Yes, yes. Basically, any of the big major photo trade shows, I'm usually at um, either setting up a, a, a studio setup with live model shoot and letting people come up and test it, show them what the, what the capabilities are, um, or even going to... Um, for instance, we just set up uh, setting up an appointment with Pasadena Art Center School of Design oh, yeah. to go in and show them and the instructors and the the um, uh, their new fall uh, uh, photographers that are signing up um, and and basically do the same thing for them so that be basically bring brand awareness because you know sure. Pentax has been around for a long long time um, they've been bought and sold I think several three or four times and uh, Rico purchased them I believe it was like four years ago roughly and um, it, the nice thing is you know that they are here to stay um, you know a lot of people think gosh well what if I invest in a medium format camera and two years from now they are they they sell or nobody wants to buy yeah. them yeah so the great thing is is that they're that they are committed and they aren't going anywhere. Rico is a huge company um, and they're sticking with the Pentax. And I know that they're currently working on new product line, you know, new lenses. Um, in fact, they've got, you know, three new lenses for the 645Z system now um, and another one coming out later this year. So it's just great to know that they're sticking with the system and it's not disappearing like, you know, the Contact 645 did, which a lot of us is, used to shoot with as well. Yeah, I mean, that was a great camera. The, yeah. con the Contact 645, the fall off on those lenses, it's like shooting, yeah, it's like getting a, a, a piece of medium format film in a digital file. And Pentax for me, you started with the K1000 when I was a kid, really small. My mom had a K1000, and that was the camera she used to photograph the, all the family pictures for, for decades. And I literally still have that exact camera, her camera, around the corner. Uh, and Rico made, the, what is it, the GR1, the little film point-and-shoot? Yeah. That was such a badass camera. Yeah. I never bought one, and I kicked myself for not because <laughs> that thing, the people that I know that have them, they have them in like secret locked rooms in their houses and display cases and, and when they get to know you well they're like oh here's my uh here's my jackson pollock painting but but over here in the corner in this secret cabinet is my my rico gr1 camera those are beautiful it was like the width of a film can and yeah. uh yeah i that was another mistake I, i've bought so many weird cameras in my life i cannot believe i didn't buy one of those <laughs> so what is what's next for you where are you off to um, well, I just got back from Hawaii shooting some new images there. And so the next trip I'm looking to, um, 
to go back to Africa again later this year and then also Iceland. Um, I really want to get into the ice caves, which I went there last year in, in their winter, their shorter days of the, of the uh, shorter daylight, I should yeah, say. Yeah. And um, it still was about five degrees too, too warm, even in their winter month. Um, to where you can't go into these caves because they collapse. So I'm really got a thing to go back and capture some images that I've been dreaming of taking for the last few years. Um, try to do that later this year. What's the one thing that you don't have that you really need or want? It could be any, that could be a physical object. That could be met time to meditate. It could be anything. Gosh, that's a really a tough question. More time with me. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, you know, it's, um, I, I think it comes down to, uh, well, there's always money. <laughs> there's always that. There's always yes. that little thing that gets in the way. I think right now, you know, I've already, I've got a plan of where I want to be and what I want to do. And I'm, I'm actually doing those steps now. And I think the biggest thing, obviously, uh, in, in where I'm at with my world is is getting uh, an investor behind me to be able to do the galleries that I want to be able to do. Um, you have a gallery now. Yeah, I'm in a gallery full time in La Jolla, California, Peerless Fine Art, um, and then we just put uh, a lot of my landscape images up in Sammy's camera on Fairfax, and I've got another um, boutique in Los Angeles that we're going to put my images in as well um, to sell there. So um, these are all great things, but uh, the bigger picture is um, to go to bigger destinations with the galleries and um, to where it's a little bit more commercialized, but it'll allow me to do what I love to do, which is travel and, mm -hmm. and bring back images that hopefully people want to put in their home and remind them of a place that they loved enjoying, you know, going to. So, um, yeah, so I think for me... Um, the answer to your question is really, um, I need an investor at the moment. <laughs> That's the biggest Just thing. one. Just one. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah, you know, considerable investor. Yeah. Well, that's doable. I mean, there's other people out there doing similar similar stuff. So the, there's a there's case studies out there to study. And, and I think, um, you know, based on what you've been doing, you definitely have the work to, to try and bring someone in. Well, thank you. So thanks for taking time to yeah. hang out. I'm going to take your portrait here in a minute, and then we're <laughs> going to do another little recording, but uh, always fun to hang out. Definitely. We'll do this again. Thanks, Dan.